God can be trusted. Yes or no? Yes. God, God can be trusted. Okay, most, I mean, we're in church. You know, even if you're not, you know, that's a good answer, you know. That's the right thing to do. Um, but now, don't, don't raise your hand on this one, okay? Because this is a little different question. So we said yes. I asked you, can God be trusted? And you said, you said yes, right? Okay, now this is a little different question. Do you trust God? Yes. Oh, you don't have to raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Because I don't want the world. But, but do you? Do, do you trust God? You see, the answer to that question is completely different than the first question. Can, can God be trusted? We said yes. But how I and how you live your life is the determination of whether or not that's really true. So let me give you some examples. For instance, I have a boat mechanic that I completely trust. I have a boat mechanic who knows more about boats than I ever will. And he works on my boat. I'm not there. I may be out of the state. He calls me up, tells me we need this part. We don't need this part. I think this is good for another two years. I think we got to do this now. You're going to sink, okay? I have a boat mechanic that I completely trust. I have a car mechanic. I'm not even sure if he's a believer. I've tried to have a couple conversations with him, and so far the door's been shut. But I have a car mechanic that I completely trust. The guy has saved me thousands and thousands of dollars. And I think something's wrong with the car. No, Kurt, you're good for another, you know, 20,000 miles. Bring it back, you know, it's free of charge. I, I, we have neighbors, and they go to our church. I think they're in second service. So they're not even in this room at the moment. We have neighbors that live next door to us that, that go to Harborside. They got a key to our house. We have a key to their house. One time they were gone and Danita needed something and I went over there and took it out of their house and about three weeks later, they're calling asking us if we have this because they can't find theirs. I took it and forgot to bring it back. So at least I trust them. I don't know if they trust us or not, but, but we have neighbors that are just completely trustworthy. But if I'm having a conversation with Lance Armstrong... It's a different conversation, isn't it? I'm not sure that I really, I mean, on a scale from one to a hundred, you know, my boat mechanic's over here and my car mechanic's over here and my neighbors are over here. I may be over here with the neighbors, but my neighbors are over here. But where's Lance Armstrong? Where's sweet Lance? Here? Keep going? What about the linebacker from Notre Dame? T.O.? And he decides to have this fake girlfriend dying of cancer conversation with the world. Why? Why why in the world? So the question this morning is, can God be trusted? Yes. The question, though, is, is do I trust God? Is God trustworthy in my life? Now, today we're going to use a guy named Abraham. And, And don't get lost in the story of Abraham because it's your story with God. This is God's connection with you. It takes 24 years for God to get Abraham to trust him. 24 years. And that's really what God's doing in your life. And he'll do it for however long it takes. If it takes two years, 20 years, if it takes 60 years, God is going to continue to work in your life to get you to the point where I know he's trustworthy, but I've put my trust in him. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, we start off with a story of a 75-year-old man. 
And the 75-year-old man was asked to leave his home, his family, his community, his culture, and go to the land that God would show him. Now, how many of you in the room are 70 years of age or older? Would you raise your hand? Okay, would you raise your hand? All right, keep them raised. Keep them raised for just a second. Now, look around the room for just a minute. Can you imagine asking all of these people in this room to get up, sell their home, sell their stuff, move to a land that God doesn't even quite tell you where it is yet? Can you imagine how, you can put your hands down now, sorry. Can you imagine how challenging that would be to just get up and to go to the land that God was going to show you? The Lord God said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Look at verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. What a promise that is. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. All right, look at verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old. Can you imagine this? I want you to sell your house. I want you to pick up all your stuff. I want you to get rid of all your extra camels and all that good stuff, and I want you to put them at goodwill and and, and take off. We're going to travel together, and we're going to go to the land that I will show you. Verse 5. So he went. Verse 4. Verse 4. He went, as the Lord told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75. Okay, verse 5. Go to the next verse, if you would. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haram, and they set out for the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Now, the next little story that we're going to talk about is how he didn't trust God. God gives him this incredible promise in chapter 12, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And now I just want us to kind of open up a window and see a great example where, you know, God can be trusted, but he didn't put his trust in God. God can be trusted in your life, but the question is, have you put your faith in him? So look at chapter 12, um, verse uh, 10, verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, and so Abram went down to Egypt, okay? So you got, you got it? He's not in the land of Canaan or, or Haran. He's in the land of Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he's about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know, you are, I know what a beautiful woman you are. That's good. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Can God be trusted? Abraham would say yes. But Abraham, have you put your trust in God? What's the answer? No, he hasn't. Look at verse 14. When Abram came to Egypt... The Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep, cattle, male, female donkeys, male, female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, what have you done to me? What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I took her to be my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. How long 
will it take for God to get you to trust him? That's the question this morning. It took Abram 24 amazing years. Go with me to chapter 16. And in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 15. Chapter 15, and look at verse 1. Chapter 15, here's a little different story. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. Here's God speaking. I am your shield. I am your very great shield. He speaks to him. Look at verse 2. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Now remember in chapter 12, God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. If you follow me, I'm going to bless you. And those that, that curse you, I will curse. And those that bless you, I will bless. And I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham. Out of you, I'm going to have a people set apart just for myself. And he's going, wait a minute, God, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus, verse 3. But Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer of Damascus, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. Verse 5. He took him outside and he said, Look, Abraham, look at the sky. Count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. Now, Abraham's getting up there in age, guys. He's cranking right up there. The biological clock is ticking on Sarah and on him. And God says you're going to have more descendants in the sand and more descendants in the stars. Oh, my goodness. Look at verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord. And it was credited to him as righteousness, verse 7. But he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to take possession of it, verse 8. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, really? Is this really going to happen? I mean, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? I think that's a great question. I think that's your question. I think everybody in the room, or at least 99% of us in the room, would say, yes, God can be trusted. But, but, but maybe I don't have the favor of God. I mean, I mean, maybe I don't have God's favor. If I had all of God's favor, then maybe I could really put my incredible faith and in, in my trust in him. But I'm just not sure I have God's favor. And we all begin to second guess God's favor on our life. Why? Because we all know how broken we are. We all know about our past. We all know about spring break. We all know about our first marriage. We all know about our taxes. We all know about our business deal. We all know about our relationships and how we've not handled things well. We know about our own betrayals. We know about our own insecurities. We know about our own addictions. And every one of us in the room, even though the promises of God blanket all of us who are in his or his children i'm just not sure that i really have the favor of god because man if you knew what i did and you knew where i was and you knew how distant i really i'm just not sure i mean i think my sister's got the favor you know i think the deacon at church has got the favor but i'm not sure that i have the favor of god We'll go to chapter 16. 11 years have now passed. We got got a total of 24 to get him to to trust him. How many years will it take you to trust God? That's the question. About 11 years pass, and Abram's now 86 years old. Doesn't have a kid. 
the biological clock is ticking. Remember my cousin Vinny, that movie, and she said that in that movie? The clock is ticking. If you didn't see the movie, don't go see it. It's not worth it, okay? (laughs) Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Ding, 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 ding. That's a big clue. Chapter 12, 11 11 years earlier, you're going to have... Children, Abraham, nations, Abraham, bigger, more than the stars, more than the sand on the sand, and he's got nobody. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now what, guys, what would your reaction be about that time? (laughs) Abraham says, Okay, sounds like a good idea to me. I mean, time out here. Holy smoke. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Look at verse 3. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar, and she gave him to her husband to be his wife. Verse 4. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. So nothing wrong with Abraham, right? It was on Sarah's side of the deal. When she, began, uh, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Look at verse 5 and 6. We'll read these. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she, despi- she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and between me. It didn't work out so good, did it? Verse 6. Your slave is in your own hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, and so she fled from her. Now... God said at age 75, I'm going to, you know, do this, leave your land, go on. This is now at age 86. God does not speak to Abraham for the next 13 years. The next 13 years, there's amazing silence. I wonder in my life, the times when I've taken shortcuts and the times when I've done some things that aren't above boards or whatever, and there's silence and there's distance there. God, God, God pulls away just a little bit so that I can hunger and thirst back for him. Thirteen years go by, and we do not hear from God to Abraham. So now, he is now 99 years old. Thirteen years later, in Genesis 17. Go to the 17th chapter with me. In 17th chapter, 17th chapter verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. Now, this is really cool, guys, because up until this time, God has spoken to Abraham, and up until this time, God has kind of like given a vision, but the Bible here says the Lord appeared to him. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Does he see God? I don't know, but this is a, he ratchets the whole thing up just a little bit for the trust factor. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Now, that's the Hebrew word I want to share with us this morning. That's a different Hebrew word. It's a different um, uh, peace component, and God's trying to reveal himself. Abram's 99. God appears to him, and he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully, and I want you to be blameless. Now, here's the word. The word is El Shaddai. Say that with me. El Shaddai. Say it again. El Shaddai. Now, the first Hebrew word I taught you was Jehovah Sabbath. Say that with me. Jehovah Sabbath. And that means he, he will fight for you. It means Lord of hosts and commander of the Lord's army. Say Jehovah Sabbath. Then the other week we talked about was Elohim. Say Elohim. Elohim, Elohim means creator. Say creator. creator. 
Elohim means creator. Here's El Shaddai. He's revealing himself now as El Shaddai. The first time he's ever revealed himself. Up until this point, he is known as the creator. By the way, Elohim is used more than 2,000 times in the Old Testament. So here's, here's El Shaddai. Here's what it means. Our sufficiency. El Shaddai means our sufficiency. Abraham, I am God. I am God Almighty. You may be 99 years old. I'm telling you, your wife may be about 90, but I said to you 24 years ago that you are going to have a child, and through this child, I'm going to build an incredible nation, and there's going to be a whole lot of people. You know how I can do that? Because I am El Shaddai. I am God's all-sufficiency. Now, there's a whole lot of layers of application this morning, but the one that you cannot miss is God can be trusted. No question about that. The question is, when are you and I going to be able to put our amazing trust in God? And so El Shaddai means our sufficiency. Let me show you what this little, I got another little uh, sentence underneath it. Here's what it is. It suggests unlimited power with an unending willingness to give an abundant supply of all we need. That's what El Shaddai means. So I want you to get that. Say that with me out loud. Here we go. Suggest unlimited. All right, you're all not ready. You ready? Here we go. Maybe you're writing. Maybe you're writing. So if you're writing, you get a pass. The rest of you, here we go. Suggest unlimited power with an unending willingness to give an abundant supply of all that we need. That's El Shaddai. He's our sufficiency. He is your sufficiency. He is my sufficiency. He is Danita's sufficiency. He is Erica, Ethan, and Emily's sufficiency. He is everybody's sufficiency who has given their lives unto him. Okay? He is El Shaddai. So here's what happens. Chapter 17. Let's look at verse 15, 16, and 17. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Verse 16. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. Now, how can he do this? Because he's El Shaddai. He's El Shaddai. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. King of peoples will come from her. Verse 17. Abraham fell face down. He laughed. By the way, that's what Isaac means. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Do you realize there were two reproductive miracles in this story? It's absolutely phenomenal and fascinating if you think about this. A 100-year-old man, about a 90-year-old woman, and here comes their firstborn son. It is amazing. So God is asking you to trust him. So now, I want to I dive in to several layers of application. Are you still with me? Okay, here's how all this good biblical foundation, I think, applies to you and to me. There's there's the favor of God, and you and I really want the favor of God. Then Abraham had the favor of God. We see throughout the Bible that Mary was highly favored. We read about Noah. Noah was highly favored of the Lord. And so we begin to ask ourselves, well, do I have God's favor? You know, maybe, maybe I'm not one of his favorites, Maybe, maybe she has God's favorite, or, or Brian has God's favorite, because he's one of them. But, but maybe I'm just not one, one of his favorites. I got some great news for you today. Everybody 
who has given their life to Jesus Christ, Paul goes into great length and great detail in the New Testament to talk about grace. And grace is unmerited favor. And so everybody in the room and everybody in the world who has given their life to Christ, you have what's called God's favor. And it's not something that you try to earn. It's not something that you can lose. It's not something that you can have more of. You today have as much favor and all the favor of God that you will ever get. Every Christian in this room, this is the great news for you, you are immersed in the favor of God. Now, is there a difference, though, between favor and between blessings? I think there is. And I run the risk of being greatly misunderstood right now because this is where the health and wealth gospel guys on TV take it and they slide off the, you know, on ice, just right off the page. So I'm not there. I'm not one of those. But I do believe there is a difference. I believe there is a great difference between the favor of God and the blessings of God. There's nothing that I can do to get more favor. Christ forgave me of all my sins. Christ covers you and me with his blood from the top of our heads to the bottom of our toes. Christ gives us eternal life. Christ gives us his Holy Spirit. Christ gives us a future. So so this whole thing about favor, we all have it. Now, I do believe that because you have favor, there's a purpose linked to it. And everybody who has the favor of God, there's a purpose to it. Mary, you are highly favored. There was a purpose to Mary's life. Noah, you are highly favored. There was a purpose. Go build a boat. It takes 120 years. They'd never seen a boat. They'd never seen rain. But Noah trusted God. So there's always a link to the favor of God. But I want to talk about blessings for just a minute. I'm going to split hairs. It's okay if you don't get this. It's okay if you don't, you don't agree with me. But the blessings of God, there is something that you and I do or don't do to receive more or to receive less of the blessings of God. So let's go back here to Abraham. Abraham had God's favor, didn't he? Right? Abraham, yes? Yes. He, He had God's favor. Okay. But Abraham still had to keep the covenant of circumcision. There was still something Abraham had to do, all right? Moses, he definitely had God's favor, but there were still some things that Moses had to do. He had to keep the covenant of circumcision and he had to obey, obey the law. And you think about then fast forward to the New Testament and you begin to see how Jesus begins to talk about different things that you and I do. And when we do those things, God's hand of blessing, we already got the favor, but God's hands of blessings begin to come over us. I, I could list three dozen. I don't have time for three dozen. I'm just going to give you a few examples. Jesus says in the, in the great sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you pray, and he says, and when you give, And he says, and when you fast, and by the way, if you treat your neighbors a certain way and you treat your enemies a certain way, he says, really, the blessings of God, he calls it reward. The blessings of God will come all over your life. And so when you pray, and Jesus is saying, when you pray, 
you receive a reward. Some of your prayers get answered, your life begins to change, and the blessings of God begin to flow. Now, can you be a Christian and have the favor of God and, and, and pray very, very little? Yes, you can. You can become a Christian, have all the favor of God, have a pitiful prayer life, and still have God's favor, but you won't get the blessings. Can you be a Christian and, and, and really not give much and, and not, not really be a generous person, really be kind of selfish and self-centered? Can you be that way and still have the favor of God? The answer is yes. But will you have the blessings of God? I, I, I don't think so. And there's about two or 300 people in the room who could stand up right now and say that 90% of their income goes further when they give 10% to Christ and the church, it goes further than 100% on their own. Why? Because the blessings of God get involved in your life. So when you pray, there are blessings. When you give, there are blessings. When you fast, Jesus talked about fasting in, in that great Sermon on the Mount. We don't talk a whole lot about fasting today, but he talked about your rewards and your blessings that came from fasting. He says for you to be salt and light. Can you be a Christian? Can you be Christian and have, have the favor of God, but not be very salty and not have a whole lot of light? The answer is yes, but why? Because all the blessings come when we pray for those who persecute us. And when we love our enemies, the blessings of God come and come and come. And, and they're not always material. They're sometimes emotional. They're sometimes psychological. They're sometimes vocational. They're sometimes relational. They're sometimes medical. But the blessings of God pour and pour and pour. And so God is asking you to put all of your trust in him. And when you put all of your trust in him, you already got the favor, you already got the favor, but then God gets involved supernaturally in your life in ways that you never dreamt of and you never expected. And so the favor of God is always linked with a purpose. And the blessings of God, the blessings of God, I do think we have a little bit of responsibility for those blessings that come our way. I want to show you a great verse out of, out of Psalm 65, verse 11. It's kind of become my, my theme verse, at least for the month of January. I may change next month, but this is my theme verse. I, I kind of get on a verse and camp out on it, memorize it, and chew it up, and hold on to it, and swallow it, and I get baptized in it for a while, and then I go into another verse. But I really like this verse. I mean, this verse, read this out loud to him. Here we go. You crown the year with your goodness. And a Hebrew word, I'm sorry, Hebrew word right there is the same word for favor. Let's do this again. Here we go. You crown the year with your goodness, which is favor, and your paths drip with abundance. Now, isn't that really about God? I mean, I, mean, I mean, God, you've already crowned our year with your goodness. You've already given us your favor in Christ. And now we're asking you to help us to stay on your path. Because if we can stay on your path, and do life according to your path, and walk on your path, and walk in your path, and walk the way your path is going, then my life is going to drip with abundance. And who in this room doesn't want to drip with abundance? And it's abundance of love, an abundance of joy and peace. Who doesn't want to have more joy and peace in their life? An abundance of faith, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, you crown the year with your goodness, which is just your favor. And my gosh, 
your paths, they, they, just, they just drip with abundance. Now, I, I realize that some of you in this room right now, you're not thinking a whole lot about abundance. I, I realize right now it was just hard for you to get here this morning. I mean, for you just to show up, maybe there's, a, there's depression, discouragement, maybe there's debt, maybe you're going through a div- I realize for some of you, divorce, maybe for some of you in this room this morning, I, I get it. Some of you are just dry and empty and struggling just, just, just to get here this morning. I, I understand that. But for some of you in this room, things are going well and your life's pretty healthy and, and, and God's just continuing to bless you. You need an abundance. You need to drip with abundance. Now, this makes perfect sense to me. I hope this makes perfect sense to you. Here's why. Can you see this over here? Okay. See, this glass, this glass is full of water, absolutely full of water. This glass doesn't need any more water, does it? This glass has all that it needs. This glass can hold maybe another, you know, three-quarters of an inch, but it really can't hold much more. This glass, for its glass's sake, does not need an abundance. It's full. It's got what it needs. But for you and I, the reason that an abundance is so necessary is because imagine that this is like the ground. The, the, the glass has the water, but, but the ground, see, the ground needs the abundance. The abundance overflows. That's you and me. It's not just that I come to church for me. It's not just I serve Christ for me. It's not just that I come and, and do something for me. I have an abundance for others. This is about other people. I want to overflow with love. I want to overflow with joy. I want to overflow with God's goodness. That's you. Some of you, it was all you could do to get here this morning. I get that. But for most of us in the room, this is why we pray. This is why we worship. This is why we just are immersed in God's word and God's ways. Because everybody around you needs the abundance. All the people at my, my YMCA, my Starbucks, all the, it's my Starbucks, all the people around there, they need an abundance. You, you, may, you may be full. You, you may not need anymore. But I guarantee you, your mom does or your dad does or your kids do. Why do you pray more? Why do you serve more? Why do you grow more? Because everybody around you needs the abundance. So you may be full today. But I hope as we bump into you, you just burst over and overflow and spill everything everywhere. Now imagine, imagine if you change your life and you begin to think about your spiritual life, not just filling my cup, not just that my cup is filled. What if every mom in this room didn't just fill her cup, but she was just dripping with abundance? Imagine what every dad in us like would be, what kind of dads we would be if we just dripped over with abundance. Imagine as pastors and as elders and as small group leaders and as teachers of, of, of students. And imagine the middle, we've got a whole middle school clan over here. Imagine the middle school clan. Stand up, would you? Stand up, all, all you guys over there. We're so glad to have you here. We're so glad to have you here. Imagine, okay, you can be seated, but, but imagine you guys go to school or wherever, and it's not about just learning the Bible for yourself. Why, why are we doing a walk through the Bible conference on February 10th? For an abundance, an abundance. How would your life be different? 
if you didn't just, you know, gosh, you know, I just got a little bit for me. My cup's about a half full. What, what if there was just an abundance? Well, I'll tell you, everybody, everybody around you would be so, so blessed. So blessed. So, Father, we're asking. We're asking that our paths drip over with abundance. And we're asking, Father, that, that you get us to that place, may it not take 24 years, but you get us there quickly. We know you can be trusted. But we're asking you, Heavenly Father, if you will help us to be able to trust you. 